This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show in partnership with the Compassionate Friends. I'm your host, Dr. Heidi Horsley, with my mom and co-host... Dr. Gloria Horsley. Well, Heidi, we have got a really important show today because of what happened uh, with the violence in Paris, because we have a woman who, as you did uh, and I did, worked with the 9-11 families. So it's uh, really going to be an, an important show today. It really will, Mom, because our guest today not only is a professional and is a social worker, but she also had a personal loss, unfortunately, uh, her son died in the 9-11 terrorist attacks, and we're going to talk to her a lot today about how to heal a community, what she feels that Paris needs right now, what all these brief families need, and what we can do to help. So on that note, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to introduce her. We're going to talk, like I said, about dealing with trauma, and our guest today is Mary Fetchett. Mary co-founded Voices of September 11th in 2001, following the death of her 24-year-old son, Brad, in the 9-11 attacks. A clinical social worker, she created a new paradigm in providing long-term services for victims' families. A strong advocate for national preparedness, she promotes public policy reforms to keep the country safe. And you can find her on her website at voicesofseptember11th.org. Welcome to the show, Mary. Oh, thank you, Heidi. Hi, Mary. It's a... it's really fortuitous that we were having you on the show anyway today, and the fact that uh, we've had these terrible things happen in Paris. I was saying to you, you must have had a lot going on, a lot of people contacting you. Well, a lot of people contacting us and also thinking about how can we support the 9-11 community, which has cert- certainly been impacted by watching the events unfold. Uh, but also how can we we reach out to those people that are from many different countries, you know, from what I'm seeing uh, that's coming across the news, and, and to help them, too, in their healing journey. Well, Mary, in watching all this, this horrific news footage coming out of Paris, has it brought back a lot of, you know, images and thoughts for you about Brad's death in the terrorist attacks in 9-11? Well, it's, it, it certainly does bring back uh, the feelings of helplessness, you know, the uncertainty that we all felt after 9-11 if, if our loved ones were dead or alive. And then uh, after, you know, going through it for 15 years, not just myself personally and my family, but also with the thousands of people that either lost someone on 9-11 or the responders who are so sick, and then, of course, the thousands, I think we calculated 500,000 people probably survived on 9-11. Wow. So you see this rippling effect uh, through a community, uh, and I, we know the journey that they have ahead, both individually and collectively. And, you know, our hearts go out to the families that have been affected and certainly, you know, we've learned so much in working uh, with the 9-11 families for 15 years now that we're hoping that we can have some 
role in helping them move forward and understand uh, the journey that they're going to have as well. And Mary, you talked about the fact that you've learned so much. Can you just let us know a couple of things that you learned? Well, one important thing for victims' families, uh, for our families, was really empowerment. And after most of these tragedies, some movement comes out of it. Um, There's a lot of decisions that have to be made uh, in working with victims. In our case, certainly the medical examiner's office was overwhelmed and, you know, making those notifications to families and still today uh, notifying families of remains, you know, 15 years later. Uh, there's still about a, a thousand families that have never received remains of their loved ones. Wow. We've received remains of Brad, who tomorrow's actually would have been his 39th birthday. Oh, wow. Uh, he was 24 when he died on 9-11. But we've been notified five times of Brad's remains. So, you know, just one aspect of the identification of remains, and in this case in Paris, you're going to have people that live outside Paris. So it's the identification of the bodies, the transport, you know, and the burial services that they're, in the, you know, memorial services that they're going to have planned. That's just one aspect of it. Um, you know, we've also learned that people have long-term needs. They they grieve in their own time. You know, certainly right now, they're I'm, I'm sure that they're just um, um, in shock uh, about what's happened. And, mm-hmm. you know, trying to gather their families and, and trying to get as much information as they can, uh, trying to make arrangements uh, for a funeral service and so forth. Um so what we've found with the 9-11 families is that um, there were a lot of coalitions that were created after 9-11, and, and in addition to starting Voices of September 11th, um, I was part of a group that was very involved with the process and, you know, what the memorial was going to become in New York City. I also became very involved with uh, 11 other family members that pushed for the 9-11 mission to be established. Now, I know nothing about uh, politics <laughs> or intelligence yeah. reform, but I learned. And so you find yourself in these, you know, unusual circumstances, and, and you want to take the tragedy that you've, uh, you know, been personally affected by um, and turn it into something that's going to make the world a better place. And Mary, I wanted to ask you a question about this because Candy Leitner, who started Mothers Against Drunk Driving, has told us that one thing that she did was start advocating a little too soon, that she she felt that she should have grieved longer. What, what's your thought about this grieving process? And did you start out right away dealing with the 9-11? Oh, absolutely. I, I started, uh, really, I began because, when I went into New York City to some of the meetings, I mean, we met with Hillary Clinton, Governor Pataki, Mayor Giuliani, and so forth. Um, back in 2001, people didn't use the Internet like they did today. So you almost found about uh, events after the fact. So we really had to be proactive going into the Family Assistance Center that was set up in New York City. And things were changing so rapidly that um, it wasn't
wasn't being communicated with people that, you know, didn't have the freedom to go into New York to obtain the information. So but wouldn't I, it be the same way in Paris now? I mean, it's got to be, you know, people aren't allowed to come in. I mean, even with the Internet, I, are we overly flooded? Well, I think, uh, as I saw it, information was readily available. Now, I'm not really clear on who's working with the families. I know the State Department, I'm sure the FBI and the Department of Justice uh, and whoever their counterparts are there in, in Paris are working with families, but I'm not clear on what system they have in place. Some of these countries are totally, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that France is, but I know in South Korea, um, uh, in some of these areas, uh, you know, the capsizing of the boat and, and even in communities like Newtown, you know, you're totally unprepared for something like this to happen. And so that's one of the challenges is how, how are the people in charge communicating the information and what kinds of support are they providing to the people that are directly affected? And what kind of support do people need that are directly affected? I mean, just really, you know, the nitty-gritty support mm -hmm. in the moment. Well, I think first and foremost, they, they have to have uh, information about their loved one. You know, they mm -hmm. need to be able to recover the body, make decisions, personal decisions, um, you know, related to that. Uh, they need their family together. And certainly mm -hmm. after 9-11, that was a problem uh, because, you know, they had the no-fly time where people weren't able, and I have a, a large family that lives around the country, so, you know, we really actually had to wait for a period of time uh, before family members that could, could come in. So each, uh, you know, as much as you can prepare um, to be able to have an infrastructure in place that, God forbid, there is an event uh, that you have the mental health support that you need, you have the government agencies working together, and you're able to communicate very clearly and concisely with the people that are affected. So I think as, mm -hmm. uh, what, what I did uh, pretty immediately after is uh, worked with our, our Congressman Chris Shays, who was our congressman in the area, and I contacted all the families in Connecticut, and we had weekly meetings in my home where, you know, several of us would go into New York and obtain the information, and we'd bring that back to them uh, to our weekly meetings so they were informed. Many of the um, people lost their husbands, and they were trying to care for their children, and, you know, they weren't able to travel into New York every day to, you know, understand... Uh, some of the complicated uh, issues that they had to navigate. So that was a real role that we played. Well, well Mary, uh, on that note, you know, after 9-11, I moved from San Francisco to New York City to work with the, with the FDNY on a longitudinal study out of Columbia University looking at traumatic loss over time in firefighter families who had lost someone in the Trade Center. And what you said, I think, was really key for us. We only did home visits because what we found also is that not only were people not able to come into the city, they also didn't want to because there was a level of fear and a level of negative reminders. And so for us, the best way was to, to meet them. And like you said, a lot we worked with a lot of widows 
and they had very young children and, and really couldn't come into the city. So. Well, and the other thing is they're grieving. Mm-hmm, exactly. And, uh, exactly. And so, you know, for some, it, it took all the energy they mm-hmm. had to just get through the day. Absolutely. And so, you know, they needed, they needed to be able to have an advocate that could advocate on their behalf. So, you know, our goal really starting the organization was to provide support to the people that were impacted. And I was in a unique position because I actually was a social worker before 9-11 and had an interest in working with communities that were impacted by traumatic events. And that was really after attending a conference back in the 90s and hearing a woman speak that lost her daughter in Oklahoma City. So I actually had done a lot of research pre-9-11 about the response to Oklahoma City and the challenges that they faced. So I was really looking at it through those lenses, you know, as a clinician with an understanding of, you know, the challenges that Oklahoma City faced, but also as a, a family member that could really understood what I was going through or my family was going through, but was also able to anticipate what other families were going through. Well, like you said, Mary, you were and are in a very unique position because you have one foot in the grief and loss world, having been a brief, having you are a brief parent, and one foot in the professional world. And I was really thrilled to see that you were recognized in the Hall of Fame at Columbia University School of Social Work in 2013 because you have really done a lot for this community and for the world around helping families find hope after traumatic losses. Yeah. Mary, I wanted to ask you a couple of things. One was, um, what about the press? I mean, what is your thought about How can families uh, deal with that? The other thing I wanted to ask you was... um, How about these constant reminders, uh, you know, when it is a big tragedy? And it it seems to me that sometimes, I mean, this is a tragedy for the nation, everybody, you know, for Paris, 9-11 was a tragedy, but it's a tragedy for the world. Yet it is a personal tragedy. I mean, uh, you know, and all these reminders, and, you know, how does one deal with all this? Well, I think you have to set boundaries, and I, I found professionally, I had to do that myself. You know, I was running an organization and, you know, trying to, uh, to provide the support that families needed and the information that they needed. And so to be able to do that every day, I had to really set boundaries for myself on what I could and couldn't do or could and couldn't listen to. And um, I think that's critical uh, for everyone And it's something that I felt very strongly that we should teach our children because oftentimes children would find themselves in a classroom and the topic of 9-11 would come up and it might even be an academic exercise. And when somebody personally loses somebody in a tragedy and hears something um, referred to in an academic context, um, you know, it's very upsetting. And so I felt very strongly that we had to uh, help our children set those boundaries on what they could be exposed to or not. And that required them to really speak out on behalf of themselves. 
Uh, I think we are in a different situation now with regard to the press because I know even with our staff after the um, uh, attacks in Paris, uh, between the social media, Facebook and Twitter, and then mm-hmm. uh, the nonstop news, you're, again, you have to set those boundaries on if these are triggers for you, you can't wake up and listen to the news all day till you go to bed and then get up. Or, or go and, on your Facebook news feed. Right. And so, and yet some people like myself, uh, I thought it was really important to get information out to the families and have them decide uh, more so on Twitter than Facebook or via email um, uh, and have them decide on what they were going to read or uh, look at. Um, but you do have to consider that, and particularly today where, you know, we are exposed to, overexposed to uh, news reports. So, so, Mary, in hindsight, is there anything you would have had done differently? Myself, personally? Yes, after the death of Brad. Oh, that's a hard one. I, I don't think I have any regrets. I mean, mm-hmm. every, uh, it's funny because I, I found a letter recently that I wrote President Bush uh, in 2001, and in that letter I talked about what I saw as the long-term needs of the families. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we're pro- very unique in that way that we've worked with the families for now 15 years. We understand every challenge that they have. We understand decisions that they've had to make. And then we can anticipate how something like the tax in Paris may affect them. But I think the thing that I'm most, um, the most important, uh, well, we did make an important contribution where we met with the families and we collected over 70,000 photographs. Um, wow. Uh, and... This was before there were digital standards for digital archiving back in 2005. And so we um, donated uh, copies of those photographs to the museum. So when you go into the 9-11 Museum and see the photographs of the victims and then the smart boards, uh, most of that collection came from us, and we'll continue to do that work. Uh, But the thing that I'm really excited about today is we, um, understanding the long-term needs of victims, we're working with uh, Dr. Koza, who is actually at the Center for the Study of Traumatic Stress and Bethesda, Maryland, and he's done a lot of research uh, with military families. And so I wanted to work with an experienced researcher that I could take what we've learned working with the 9-11 families and modify those questions that he had in his bereavement study with military families. And we launched that study back in June, and that will close, I think we'll stop collecting data in um, the end of December. So I'm really... What are some of the major needs that you've seen? Well, I think... I think the Besides, thing that, you, you mentioned some of them, seeing the body, making the plans, getting people together. I think physically, too. Do you think that's one of the issues is people don't physically get together? I mean, uh, you know, with the, with the media, they can maybe communicate more, but I, isn't there something about being with people? Uh, 
Well, we actually have an annual conference in New York on September 10th. Now we're actually last year had a symposium where we had researchers and academics and, you know, government agencies attend that. But that is a time for families to come together both, you know, at that uh, information forum and then certainly uh, at the memorial on September 11th. Uh, but one thing that we did uh, back, oh gosh, uh, again, almost immediately after, we realized that people lived around the country and around the world. So we started teleconference groups that were um, facilitated by social workers. And still today we have uh, uh, teleconference groups with people in California and London and you know other parts of the country. And this gives them an opportunity to continue to support one another, um, but to to also uh, go through you know the challenges that they face, you know after 9/11, the additional losses, and certainly I know in the groups uh, that Tax and Paris are going to come up uh, this week. So um, so I think really, what did you say was going to come up this week? The attacks in Paris, I'm sure, are going to come up in the conversation. This yeah, week. what kinds of things would you expect to hear? Well, the triggering, um, you know, the how they had to, uh, you know, deal with um, the exposure to media, uh, you know, probably problems they had sleeping. Um, you know, and of course, uh, you know, this is a lifetime. Uh, people are, are not getting over these things. They're learning to live with things. So what we're finding, they're learning to live with the loss. Okay. And so mm-hmm. what we're finding with the 9-11 family is that by bringing in experts in the field that we've worked with over the years, that it helps them learn in a new way, um, both understanding the complications of bereavement and trauma, but also the steps that they have to take in, in working towards healing. And for many years, I think they, they couldn't um, integrate that into what they know. They couldn't hear what the professionals were saying. And what, what kind of steps would you say that um, do you hear that people need to take? Well, certainly, um, one challenge many families have had are relationships with their fa- and their family, and so mm-hmm. I think to recognize that your families go through things differently, your family members, and that you have to respect that. So I'll use our family as an example. I'm in New York probably for four or five days around the anniversary, and my husband will come in, you know, for a couple of those days. But on 9-11, he does not want to be in New York City. And my mm-hmm. sons, who actually work in buildings overlooking the memorial, mm-hmm. don't want to be at work on 9-11. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I think because it, it is, as you said, a public loss, that they need their privacy on that day. And mm-hmm. um, so I think that's something 
to take into consideration. Well, the other thing to take into consideration right now, and I'm thinking of your sons, too. I live in New York City. I live in Midtown. Right now, New York is on heightened alert. And there are a lot of police out there at Times Square and Columbus Circle. Um, It's a very different feel right now. And people are anxious. Um, anxious, you know, you've had a terrorist attack in Paris. We're, in, we're living in different times right now. Does that mean anything for New York? Um, it's just kind of on everyone's mind on some, on some level. So I think about those kind of reminders too, Mary, especially for people that were really impacted on September 11th. Well, and I think um, victims' families are a consequence of our country's not being prepared. And so my hope is that at the summit that, you know, our government officials, uh, you know, internationally can put their other differences aside and say, how can we be united in this, you know, in this fight against uh, terrorism? Because, you know, so often we say our thoughts and prayers are with the victims, and we're certainly here to support, you know, not just the 9-11 community, but now we're working with other communities to share that what we've learned and how they can work better with victims' families and survivors. And, you know, there's no end in sight to the number of tragedies that we see in the news, whether it's a school shooting or a shooting at a theater right here in our own country. Um, Are you seeing, Mary, that we're getting better? I know you were involved with Sandy Hook, right? Uh, are you? Are we better prepared? Are we doing better? Well, I think we are better prepared, but obviously, you know, here's another. I mean, that was a 9/11 that really happened in Paris this week, and you know, I think we just we have to support law enforcement as citizens. I think we have to have a plan ourselves. We have to uh, report things that we see that are unusual. And then we have to expect the same of our government officials, that they can work together because, you know, I don't know, enough is enough. It's just tragic to see one after the other, you know, uh, tragedy where we have yet another group of victims' families. Um, Mary, I wanted to ask you before we close the show, because I know there's so many people in in New York. I mean, there's, you know, the, you mentioned the school shootings, the, um, you know, 9-11. Um, there, and Heidi, you talked about the uh, alert, you know, the high alert that's on right now. Uh, if I'm feeling nervous and I've had, I'm uh, from a family where something like this has happened, what would you say to me now? What What, what can I do today? Well, I'd want to understand their day-to-day, you know, how do they, uh, you know, to them, to get at the root of what are they anxious about? Are they watching TV? What are supports mm-hmm. and, uh, that they have in their family? Um, you know, are they in treatment? And, you know, does that seem to be working? And, and then uh, so much of what, what you were saying, Gloria, is to being together and having support that people need, I I think is critical. And so often when you get, you know, a year, five years, now 15 years from an event, people lose those supports over time, not just, um, 
you know, from their um, colleagues, but oftentimes their family and friends don't want to know about it either. And so they, if that's the case, then they have to look for avenues and, and support uh, that they can call when they're feeling that way. And certainly I know our organization is one of those, and the community that we've created is a resource Yeah, now tell people how they can get in touch with you. And also I want to get the uh, where your conference is going to be for, and about that for people that want to know. So talk about your organization. Well, we actually have a conference um, on April 6th in uh, Piscataway, New Jersey. And then on September 9th and 10th, uh, we have a symposium on September 9th and an information forum on the 10th. And those are both held annually at the Marriott Hotel, which is just adjacent uh, to uh, the 9-11 Memorial. Okay. And that that's invited? The general public's invited? Oh, yes, yeah, certainly. Um, as I said, uh, the symposium on the 9th, what we've found is there's a lot of people in the field whether they're working for government agencies or service providers themselves uh, that want to come together and find out about what um, what are the issues that victims' families have and how can we work, uh, you know, better with them and provide the services that they need, not just in the short term but over the long term. And then on the 10th, uh, we actually have a lot of the service providers, like the clinical centers, that are working with the uh, responders and survivors who are so sick. Uh, typically, and so, them, uh, yeah. and so, so that's that's families, uh, responders, survivors. Uh, this year, we'll be doing uh, more of an international um, uh, with some of our international partners uh, that are working with. Uh, some of the other uh, communities, international communities that have uh, been part of, you know, whether it's a terrorist attack or, uh, um, you know, uh, some other kind of uh, act of mass violence. Well, well, thank you so much for everything you're doing. And, and talk about your website again, uh, Voices of September 11th. Yes, you can... Uh, uh, you know, find information about the organization at voicesofseptember11.org. And certainly, you know, we welcome uh, uh, those people in your audience. Uh, we're happy to answer any questions. And uh, you may also have service providers out there that are working with some victims' families, too. And, and, and that's important to stay connected with them as well. Well, Mary, thank you so much for being on the show today and for all the work you're doing. It's uh, very impressive, and I know you're doing a lot of work in the name of Brad. Thank you so much, Mary. And, oh, uh, thank you. Thank you for being a voice for all of those that have been impacted by the September 11th terrorist attacks and also for every other tragedy in this world and being a strong advocate. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure being on your show, and you know, keep up your good work. Well, thank you. Thank you. Well, Heidi, uh, wow, it's uh, 
really chilling, isn't it, to think about what's going on in Paris and then hearkening back to 9-11 and, and the things that have gone on. Absolutely. Um, our heart goes out so much to the people and that have been impacted by this. Absolutely. And I love what Mary said. I think it is really powerful. She has really taken this tragedy and turned it into something that makes the world a better place. And I think when we do that, that's where the healing begins for us personally. Yeah, absolutely. And coming together for community. And we appreciate your listening to the show today. And we hope that you will be holding your loved ones close as we will be. And also, we know that there is so much care and so many angels in that world that are helping people out. And Heidi and I always want to remind you that if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own. And God bless. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.